Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You need to know exactly where your food's coming from. That's the the clientele that write the menu every week, keeping your eyes open and your ear to the ground, essentially, and listening to what people are growing. The integrity, that that provenance, that ability to not just know where something came from, but to really know the the ins and outs of how it was raised, mm-hmm. is really important. G'day and welcome to another episode of the Capital Cookbook Three podcast. This is the Quicksand Food Connection, and I'm Stefan Postuma. Today I speak with Ben Willis. Ben is the chef and owner of Aubergine Restaurant at the Griffith Shops. Aubergine's one of Canberra's most highly awarded restaurants, winning two chef's hats in the Good Food Guide for multiple years running. Ben was generous enough to give us some great dishes for the Capital Cookbook 3, and he's got a really interesting take on fine dining, and you learn a bit about what he does and how he thinks as a chef at one of Canberra's best restaurants. I really enjoyed talking to him, and I also hope that you enjoy this conversation with Ben Willis from Aubergine in Griffith. Do you want to just start with telling us, like we're sitting in a like what looks like a brand new dining room, basically? Do you want to tell us just a bit about the refurb? You know what the thought was before starting. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, it was generally kind of a bit. I mean, some people had thought there was nothing wrong with it, but I guess it was a bit um, white and browns and a little bit outdated in some of the styling. And um, obviously, there's things that you, we wanted to fix, um, like you know, a big old suede wall that had been there for. 15 years that um, we hated but provided really good sound um, absorption and so kind of we kept thinking we wanted to get rid of it but what do we put put on the wall and it's such a big wall and feature that we didn't really want to fuck it up Mm. Um, so you know yeah so we kind of wanted to find something similar to that to kind of help with the acoustics Um, so we finally found that and so we went with, we knew that we would eventually, we'd need carpets and we'd need things and we wanted to kind of tie it all in together so we kept waiting and waiting and various plans and decisions but I guess what we wanted it to be is to sort of clean and um, it's not a very big room so we don't want lots of, you know, cram it full of features and over design it. Mm. Um, thinking that when it's full of people, you know, and it, it is such a small space that um, also we don't have a lot of room for, you know, waiter stations and equipment and things like that so anything that comes in takes away a table or a chair which obviously is important for the business as well um so yeah i think it was just cleaning it up and keeping it nice and i guess we wanted to modernize it as well so it's sort of but also leave it fairly timeless Mm -hmm. i didn't want to kind of put anything in here that you know would be looked like 
we went to a lot of effort to design something and be really clever and two years later it's kind of like mm, that's a tricky that's a tricky thing when doing fit outs and, and stuff like that there's a lot of people who look at what's on trend right at that moment and they might you know look online or whatever it may be and then by the time the fit out's finished and then a year later those what are they called edison bulbs or something like that yeah like, exactly right yeah i mean for us it was also like we wanted it, it with night time only i guess so the old fit out was good when we used to do lunch and dinner but then we moved to just dinners and we wanted it intimate and then you've got varying demographics of people in your room some people who like it quite dark some people who want it quite bright so we've kind of managed to darken up the room which suits the nighttime thing and gives you that feeling of it being darker but yet you can have your lights a little bit brighter but mm-hmm. you don't feel as though you're in this really bright white dining room it's, it's dark um, so we've spotlit every table as well which from the, mm. from the ceiling um, so that the room itself is quite dark but the tables are lit up so what we used to have is old people used to pull out the the torch and you know on the on the phone and and you could see them from <laughs> miles away because you have the room really dim and then they pull out the phone to read the menu and that's an indicator that your customers aren't really happy with their lighting you know and that, yeah. they remember that and yeah 100 percent. and so i guess you wanted to make sure that we we cover those bases yeah um look after our clientele because you know some of it are the those sorts of older people and some of them are younger people who want a dark room or they want a more intimate kind of vibe yeah there's something really cool about the spotlighting though i think it's really um it suits fine dining really nicely and it's elegant also functional and yeah when it when a room looks like that and and the tables lit up really nicely it feels very sophisticated i like it yeah yeah so you know we have i mean we've got really high ceilings so we're kind of just really playing around as you can see there's a big ladder a three meter ladder that's out there because every kind of time we move a table we have to move a light and uh it's big i knew we were going to do that and the guys were like oh well shouldn't be much of an issue but that um three meter ladders are pain in the ass to bring up and downstairs bloody oath so um (laughs) we're still tinkering with that whether we add more in and keep them up there at sort of you know but we're working with it it's it's pretty good yeah it's good fun yeah um other than that, you know, a lot of this stuff that we did was was creature comforts that a lot of places don't provide, um, yeah. like in heating and cooling and acoustics and stuff like that. So double glazing the restaurant, which we, you know, we always used to have people come for a special occasion and they think it's a really nice restaurant, so they can kind of you know wear a nice dress or, or whatever. And they'd ask for a window table. And you'd sit them next to the window, and the windows were freezing cold, and they'd have they brought a big coat so that they could wear something lighter. Mm. in the dining room and then they'd have to kind of we've had this a couple of times where sort of a lady's wearing this big parka in the dining room and <laughs> it's clearly uncomfortable but they're just so cold that that's their only option and, yeah. and you kind of feel like well, they should be able to kind of come mm. here and be comfortable and we should be able to provide that environment and that's unf- you know we didn't intend or set out to be a particular style of restaurant just cook good food and look after our customers and that that brings you awards and recognition and then you've got this expectation that comes with that mm. um, and then you know, I guess your customers bring those expectations and deliver them yeah, to you and sure. you've got to make their night you know yeah. you've got to make their special occasion so we kind of wanted to we, when we decided that this is what we're going to do we're going to stay at Aubergine we're going to kind of keep moving forward then those sorts of things had to be fixed yeah and I know I know exactly what you mean because you know, yeah, with two hats and the awards, the recognition, any publicity that you get, people come with an expectation that 
of flawlessness almost like you know if they're cold they're like what the hell what the hell is the two hot place and I'm cold yeah you know what I mean and I think that like did you feel that for a while the the dining room didn't match the food in a sense because for me it feels like now looking at the food that we shot today and the dining room and the you know the contemporary nature of both those things match really well together now yeah, I think... Oh, definitely. I mean, there's a fair bit of... I mean, I used to say to a lot of people that, I, you know... It's, I mean, the dining room never really felt mine because I bought it and it was already here. We, did, we didn't have a lot of money, so we just sort of, you know, put in some some new, you know, bits and pieces along the way, and but we didn't really do a big job of it, so we were left over with stuff. So it never really felt... Even though I owned the restaurant for eight years, it kind of never really felt ours. It mm. felt like we were kind of trading in someone else's space. It, uh, whereas now, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of it because I had, you know, a lot of yeses and nos with the designers and stuff about what I wanted it to be. And, um, and yeah, and I, I sometimes do think, depending on who you are and what your expectations are, again, some people were thinking that the dining room was perfect for, for what we do and, and mm. how we do it and, and we didn't need to really change. And, you know, other people write stupid little reviews about how the decor is dated and brown tones and this, that, the other. And you're like, well, you know, we're a small... It's, it's my wife and I and we don't have a million dollar bank account and you know like it's a lot of money to kind of throw into a refurb of a restaurant mm. so um, yeah look there's part of me though that yeah some of it was kind of embarrassing in the way you look at it you kind of think I wish I had something a bit nicer but yeah of course you just deal with it yeah and yeah it makes sense is there any was there any change in your approach to the food whatsoever with the refurb? Do you did you did you want to sort of no. relook at it, revisit it a little bit? No, I think I, I mean we chipped away at sort of food styling. I guess we knew that this change was coming. Yeah. So with that, it wasn't like change the restaurant and now we need to change the food. The food had sort of evolved um, gradually, knowing that this is the sort of style of restaurant we wanted to be, and. You know, we made various changes along the way over the last couple of years to kind of have that restaurant where we thought we could get the best of everybody's world, really. I mean, we're kind of here to keep people happy. And um, and so, like, you know, we used to do three or six courses and then we do sort of four courses with canapes on arrival and, and that sort of stuff, which, you know, isn't a new thing. A few other restaurants are doing it, but I guess we have four four courses it's ninety dollars um, you essentially get five courses of food it kind of ticks everybody's box from, from a kitchen point of view it's nice and organized everybody has four courses so they start at the same point they finish at the same point so there's no two courses jumping the queue and messing up your service so the service is a bit more organized um, we make sure that everybody gets to try a lot of food you know not everybody likes everything so if they don't like one course they've got three other courses mm. you hopefully tick their boxes and um, you know, not everybody likes the same set of music and the same kind of cl- wear the same clothes or mm. why should they all like the same sort of food? Of course. But if they've got a chance to try more food, then essentially there's a better chance. Your percentage chance is higher of them liking everything. That's yeah. why people do eights, nines, 12 course yeah. dinners. If there's one miss, they've, they've got plenty of other opportunities yeah. to impress them. So, um, yeah, and that's what you just want all your customers to come here, be happy, have a good night, leave happy and... and come back mm. and so that's sort of what we what we try to do with all of the changes that we've made along the way so the menu no not really I think it it got to the point where we wanted it to be just at the right time right know, just in in food style or and, and our price and all that kind of stuff yeah well it's 
extremely reasonable from, from my perspective. I mean, there's not many two-hat restaurants in Australia that you could spend less than 100 bucks on, on your food. No, there probably isn't. I mean, it's, it's a, yeah, it is a... I guess for us, it's, it's, we keep the same price you know, Monday through Saturday. And on Saturday night, it might be considered um, cheap. You know, but on a Tuesday night, to get somebody to spend $90 um, you know, or to spend a reasonable amount of money, it's got to be, where would they go and have a slightly cheaper meal and go, okay, I can probably get something for $80 somewhere else, but what's an extra $10? Yeah. Um, you know, if I can have a nice five courses at Aubergine. You know, yeah, like, exactly. So um, it's, it's about making sure that we can get, have a busy restaurant midweek mm-hmm. and, then, you know, and, and a busy one on the weekends rather than sort of trying to charge too much money and then no one wants to spend $110 on a, on a Tuesday. So, yeah, I mean, and for that reason, it tends to work. Mm-hmm. For every, like I said, it's got to work for everyone. It's got to work for the business, the staff, the customers. Yeah. Talking about then sort of the expectations that people come here with that we touched on before, how do you keep up with, you know, how do you keep in touch with what people's expectations may be and try to satisfy that? How, how, how much do you sort of research what's happening in other parts of the world or, you know, online and, and, and read reviews and, and, and that sort of thing? Because you know, being as distinguished as you are now, I'm sure there's a lot of people that come here with a lot of expectation. Yeah, expectation's a funny thing, and I think any chef who, who works hard and, uh, and wants, I mean, most of us, we go to work to please people. That's what chefs do, and they love it when someone says something that they did is great. You know, that's, that's the motivating factor. Mm. Um, that's what makes all the long hours worthwhile. So, look, um, Social media and, and online reviews, there's the love and hate relationship with them. doesn't matter who you are. Uh, any chef who says they don't look at their trip advisors and things like that. Oh, either is probably doesn't care that much in like, or pretends not to, or I don't know, maybe they've made a conscious decision not to look because they don't like what they read. But uh, we look and we read and we read into it and there'll be things that are negative and you just sort of brush it over and you kind of put it into perspective. It's either right or it's wrong and you, you believe it or you don't. You can learn from it. Um, you can get angry. It doesn't really change anything. I don't mm. change what I do um, if I read something negative, if I believe what we're doing was, you know, was right. But if I can see a point that they made or, or whatever, then, then yeah, sure, you take it on board, you show the staff, we have a quick chat about it. And, we move on, and you hope that if one negative review comes along, it's it's swamped by a few positive ones. And the readers of those ones would probably read into that. Like, if they read one bad and ten good, then then they'll accept that. Mm. Um, not everywhere can be perfect, but yeah, the expectation. I mean, you got to keep it in check. And in terms of everything else, like decisions on where we place ourselves or what we want to be, it, it also does revolve around a bit of um, stuff. I try not to look too close to what's happening kind of Australia and locally and things like that I think big big picture sort of you know how do we fit into kind of where the world's going or what kind of people are doing and like I said we sort of try and keep things a bit simpler and and fresh and we always try to find interesting ingredients where we can Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not a new thing either I don't think we're kind of so what's the process of finding finding new and interesting ingredients like how do you how do you go about it Oh, I think trial and error as well. Like you see something on someone's product list, um, you find a good right. supplier who has some interesting things. You you buy it, you try it, you like it, you don't. You know, you waste some money. Some things go in the bin, some things don't. I guess 
then you, the following year when they come back in season, you, you know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just basically, yeah, keeping your eyes open and, and you know, your ear to the ground essentially and listening to what people are growing and what they're talking about. And I guess that's where things like Instagram and stuff like that do come in handy. You can sort of see an ingredient you don't know where it is and go, oh, that sounds interesting. I wouldn't mind seeing if I can find that. And then the next time you hear it or see it on someone's list, you go, aha, Mm. that's where I can find it, you know? So, look, yeah, it's a process of a lot of things. It's just being open to trying new things and and getting them in and playing around with it and Mm. seeing how it works for us. Um, And some things do and some things don't. Yeah, cool. Um, Speaking of new ingredients, then, the lamb dish that you gave us had something on there that I'm pretty unfamiliar with. Celtus. Yes. Uh, stem lettuce. Yeah, again, I mean, there's a couple of varieties and, and we've, we've bought Celtus before and I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, well, it just tastes like nothing. And then um, through another supplier, um, had it on a list and I thought, oh, I'll give it another go. And, um, and his was just completely different. It had a really nutty flavour mm. to it that was sort of, um, sort of like, yeah, interesting nutty lettuce flavour. Um, and it's sort of the same product just grown by different people and so I'll only get that from that one grower and that yeah. one thing because then I've got confidence that it's interesting and, yeah. um, and you use the root along with the leaves the root and the leaves um, you know we do all sorts of things with it we dry the leaves if we get the sort of big outer ones and we make a powder that's got a really nice um, lettuce flavour mm-hmm. you get some lettuce and it's mostly water by the time you dry it down it just tastes like you know like nothing but yeah. It tends to taste a really nice lettuce powder. Um, so depending on what we're doing at the time, sometimes we serve it raw, sometimes we serve it roasted um, and, and slice it and things like that. There's a lot of stuff we can do with it. Yeah. So we try and sort of, yeah, get it in and, and have a play. Yeah, it's cool. It's, it's, it's got a pretty unique flavour. Like you say, that nuttiness, like even earthiness to it, and it's, yeah, yeah. It's essentially lettuce. Essentially lettuce. Yeah. You know, you can roast it up with some butter and serve it with some fish, or you can you leave it raw and you know and serve it with some raw fish or something yeah. like that. You know, like you can. Yeah, there's, there's things you can do with it. So yeah, like we're always on the lookout in, in product lists with people and suppliers and talking to people and and the suppliers are on the same boat. You know, they they're looking for ingredients that they can see that chefs are interested in because that kind mm. of if you go and buy your Celtus with one supplier, you're probably going to end up buying more from them. Yeah. You might buy your standard range of you know carrots and whatnot else and chip away at stuff. So everybody's on the lookout for something different mm. or new. Oh, not everybody, but you know some people are probably in their safe little world. But um, I think a lot of a lot of chefs look looking for that. Yeah, well, that's the thing, and you know the interests of chefs and suppliers sort of feed each other. Where you know a supplier might. A supplier might be the one doing the real research into internationally what's available, what they can grow in our conditions, or yeah, the chefs are probably doing more of the research and then communicating. I mean, I I guess there's some local growers that are growing stuff now that they weren't three years ago, and they had no idea that they could use you know various parts of that. You know, like, <laughs> and they're kind of going, "Oh wow, now there's a market for the the shit that I used to throw on the compost heap." Yeah, it was like parsley root. Yeah, it's like a lot of people would have chucked it out not long ago. Yeah, so I still do. Yeah, there's tons of stuff. So, um, yeah, no, we, you know, I mean, I, there's local people growing garlic all around. The black garlic movement's pretty big. The local garlic growers are pretty big. Um, garlic scapes—they were one for the compost bin or 
you know, I don't know, fed to some animals somewhere <laughs> along the line. But, um, you know, so we use the scapes and then there's the root or the, you know, the green garlic stems and things like that that sort of pop up. So we use a lot of the green garlic now that's very early shooting and, and, and fry it off. But yeah. before they would have just let them, I mean, it would have gone to a bulb and that would have been it, just a garlic bulb. So, yeah. Um, yeah. No, it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense, like, in a lot of levels. Yeah. At least, yeah. Open lines of communication between everything, I mm. think. Um, it makes coming to work more interesting. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So. It, it, does it sort of allow you to experiment then as well? Sort of look at the part of a, a part of a product that you might not have used in the past and say, let's let's see how we can make this edible. 100%. Yeah. You know, like, we've, like I said, we're a dinner-only restaurant, so we've got most of the day... To, to get ready for dinner and we're a small restaurant so you know, there's a, a portion of the week where you, from the moment you walk in the door you, you're busting your ass to get ready for dinner on that night but then there's a part of the week where you actually got a bit of time to play around and, mm. and you know change the menu and, and our menu can and does change daily and our first course is set for everybody and, and that's sort of an opportunity for us to find an ingredient and maybe especially sort of try and find local seasonal and, and just keep sort of mm. working on something and we can change it every day if we need to yeah. so we try it a certain way and you know it's not a guinea pig dish by any means it's always sort of got to a point where we're really happy with it but um, the more we play around with more we all learn and if I'm learning as the owner that's here day in day out it's easy to attract staff who also kind of they just come and they're stuck in a corner and you know here peel the carrots and make a mashed potato we're just going to do this and you know what I mean like it's not we're not just doing the same thing over yeah. and over again so you become a robot um, we get some ingredients in that like like you'd never seen Celtis before yeah. neither had half the kitchen team when it first came through the door yeah. neither had any of the kitchen team and some of them hadn't heard of it um, you know there's all sorts of things that they've never seen until they've come here and we learn together and yeah. I think that's what keeps them here I've got staff that have been here in the kitchen for a long time and most yeah. of them have stick around um, they stick around because if they go somewhere else they're just a drone mm. just a pumping out the, the food whereas here it's valuable for their education yeah so. do you do you, do they do your team have a bit of input into menu like you collaborate on ideas for yeah I think um, you know at various levels and in various things definitely um, you know yeah we always have a chat about it it's sort of more and more um Again, it's sort of only so much you you know you can do yourself. You got to bring a lot of other people in for for the ride and um, and sort of use their their knowledge and input as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of outside of work stuff I'd have to do with two restaurants, a three year old, um, and you know talking to designers and builders when this was happening and whatnot. You kind of going to use your team and build them up, and otherwise, you know, it's not all about work every day. It's it's about life balance for everybody. Mm. So, and they've got to come to work knowing that they've got something. Again, it's that give them a reason to come to work, make their life interesting, and and work together. So, mm. you know, it's a it's definitely a collaborative. I guess it used to probably be more of a just me when I probably had more to prove, or the first few years of the restaurant and whatnot. You you kind of want it to be all about you, and then as the time goes on, the longer you're here, you want it to be. You don't necessarily need it to be about you anymore. Mm. I guess I feel like that these days yeah so that's good it's definitely the I mean I know that any work environment that I've been involved in when you get you know the freedom from a higher up to 
express your thoughts and ideas on on something any aspect of the business not just cooking or other industries that I've been in you, you feel valued and you want to and and you feel like you're a part of the business and you're not just a, you're not just an employee who comes and goes you know? yeah I mean if if it's all me and they they don't understand the right from wrong or why something's cooked a certain way if you bring them along for the right or even if it's their idea um, they take ownership of it yeah um, if they put forward something that's really good then I'll jump on it so quickly because I know that when I'm not here they're going to put way more focus into that one part of that dish or that one ingredient that they were involved in deciding on yeah so I don't have to worry about it like yeah. they've got it they so much pride on exactly. that plate of food um, that that I know I can step away um, whereas if it's all you and you know what made something a sauce or a something better if it's done a slight you know slight you know then then you've always got to be in your kitchen all the time and mm. I don't know I'm in my kitchen a lot but you know yeah. there's also stuff outside of work events cooking demos marketing travel uh, things like that these days that are sort of becoming more and more popular and um, so your restaurant's got to function when you're not there yeah yeah exactly so cool um do you want to just talk a bit more about some of the other components on that lamb dish? Tell us about that one. Um, yeah, lamb dish is pretty... I mean, I guess you know, it's, it's always, and it's not new, I guess for, for eight years, some of our food has been pretty simple. And I guess you, your reviewers and the people who make decisions on awards and things like that really respect um, a produce-driven restaurant that's run by a chef. And they can see intelligent cooking, intelligent selection of produce, and... Um, and simplicity, and um, and I guess that's what we've been about since since I opened the place. And some people would see that as you know, you, you haven't squashed something into a mould and, and shaped it and turned it into something where when you cut it open, it's like mind-blowingly gastronomic experience. Um, for us, uh, a gastronomic experience for me is is something where um, the guys at Flinders Island have you know reared really nice piece of lamb on some salt grass so it's already got a, a salty brine to it um, a really really you know big fat content so when we roast it in a pan um, you've got enough lamb fat to baste the meat um, adding to that flavour um, you rest it properly, you slice it, you eat it you go fuck that's a really good piece of lamb um, put it with some sweet breads which you know uh, nice and creamy balance some things out the Celsius is fresh um, we didn't roast it because with the lamb flavours it's already enough so we wanted something lighter and crisp again an ingredient maybe some people hadn't used I was always try to put something on a plate that you know like some of it's quite part classic but almost every plate has to have something that people kind of you know if, you've, if you're coming here and having four courses of food you've either seen before or or whatever then it's not so entertaining but mm. every plate doesn't doesn't have to have a trick it just has to have something unique to us something interesting it's not yeah that's not copied or or whatever else you know it's something that we've come up with that's you know there's nothing really on that plate it's 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 turnip tops the chimichurri wrapper um some baby turnips some celtus um and some lamb you know there's there's nothing really new there but um yeah just just good simple cooking mm. yeah I always hate trying to rationalise some of the stuff. You know, some of it's because our menu does change every day. Sometimes it's you know it might be there for three days um, because we liked it for those three days, and then we might kind of move on to something else or, yeah. or whatever else. So, yeah, 
Yeah, cool. Um, just quickly about the, the flounder dish too then. Yeah, the flounder dish, um, I don't know, that was a series of kind of a, a process and it's chipped away at it. It's, it's at a place now where I'm really happy with it. Customers love it. Um, it's sort of a comforting winter, wintry fish dish. Um, you know, a lot of my fish dishes are just, I generally find a really nice piece of fish and, and pan fry it and try to keep it fairly simple. Um, and then just for a change, I thought we should do something a little bit nicer. And we've been steaming a lot of fish recently and, and then we had a lot of fish offcuts from some flounder, really small pieces and I didn't really know what to do with. So in, in years gone by working for other people, I guess historically when, when people used to cook a different way, we used to make a lot of fish mousses and things like that. So it's like, oh, I haven't made a fish mousse for a while, let's, let's just do that. And it's funny because the guys in the kitchen are like, fish mousse. I don't know, never really made one of those before. <laughs> um, so it's a good classic technique to, to teach the guys. And, so um, what, tell us a bit about the technique then. Oh, you sort of, you keep all of your equipment nice and cold. You, you dice up your, your fish, um, pretty small. You blend it with some salt to, to make a fish paste. Um, you lighten it with cream, so you've got a sort of a, a, a balance between your cream and your protein. The protein sets when, it's, when it steams and cooks. Yep. Um, so you get a nice fish flavour. Um, but it's just sort of a, a texture thing, I yep. guess, for this particular dish. Um, so we put, put it on top of the flounder and, um, and cover it with a smoked lemon hollandaise. So we smoke some lemons, squeeze out the juice, um, make a hollandaise, and so you get a bit of a smoky fish thing. And, uh, and it's just sort of textural, and mm. um, I guess, you know, it, it adds to it. But it's sort of simple, yet sort of technical. Mm. And so I guess that's sort of what we try to do as well. Like we've always got something on the menu that's got a bit more classic as well. It's not all about moving, kind of trying to impress people with liquid nitrogens and foams and, mm. and powders or whatever else it is that, that might be around at the time. You know, I guess a lot of what we do is we play around with stuff and, you know, we have liquid nitrogen and we have foam canisters and we have all this sort of stuff, but we're not ruled by it. We don't announce it on a menu and we don't try to kind of say that we're some sort of clever clever dicks we we just sort of some of it's playing around just to see whether we like it does it fit in with our restaurant might last for a little while and we might realize it doesn't <laughs> move on to something else and it's just a, i guess what the way i look at sort of instagrams and social media is it's it's not a big agenda to say oh, i'm going to do this because i'm clever it's like why are, why did somebody do that i'm just going to have a look and see if it works yeah you know and then no, it doesn't really work it's a pretty really, honest way to look at it I don't really like it but because you've got to keep learning you know <laughs> exactly no, I think there's no that... other way for a chef owner type place that we're going to work somewhere to keep learning no. other than trial and error and you know. that's the thing you can almost limit yourself by defining what you're what you're trying to do with your food and your dishes in that way right like I mean having that loose idea of I just want, to, I want. I saw this product and I wanted to give it a crack, and yeah. I tried a different way of cooking it, and I, I think that it works with this. So we put it on the menu, and then we saw something else, so we tried that. Yeah. Like it, it, it clearly might work in a place that's got twenty-five chefs in the kitchen, but it clearly fucking doesn't for me when I've got four. Yeah, and you know, like it, you know, some things work because you got the right. Um, yeah, you can add the right time to it, and then other things that you know you kind of go like it might work for a little while in a quiet period as soon as it gets busy, or vice versa, and you know, like yeah, just just playing around really it's yeah. just coming to work and maybe entertaining myself and feeding the customers at the same time um, I don't get so brought up in the whole need to have like you know, signature signature dishes and things like that or get attached to things or whatever it's just constant evolution yeah 
that's it. That's cool. Um, just quickly, the last components on the dish, you've got some crab, spanner crab. Spanner crab. Um, yeah, we just get some, like, they're around at the moment. Um, I guess they're, they're kind of in the nice cold waters and what, whatever else. Um, so, yeah, we just get them in and steam them, pick the meat out of them. Um, they just happen to be around at the time. It could easily be blue swimmers. I think we're here about yep. a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, that's. I guess that's just to make it a little bit more luxurious in a way. Um, yeah. Add a component that makes it feel like they've, it's worth the money. Um, <laughs> not that fish isn't, but some some people want that. I know they, what you mean. They kind of need that. They need that reassurance. It's delicious as well. It it is, and it, and it works with the fish. We were going to put it through the mousse, but then when you cut it, it it doesn't cut clean. Whereas a nice fish mousse just has a really nice slice to it. Um, so we put the crab on the side, and yeah, just I mean, yeah, that's it's part of that expectation when they come here that I, you know, I don't necessarily need um, luxurious ingredients or expensive ingredients to make something worthwhile. But when there's an opportunity that that can come along and work with a dish, mm. again, it's yeah, keeps people happy. Cool. Um, anything else, Ben? Do you? I mean, you've obviously done the refurb now, so you're not going to be opening anywhere new very soon, I don't think. No, no, there's no, no money left. <laughs> uh, and also, I mean, like, you know, we, we toyed with ideas of doing other things and growing and whatnot, but anybody in this industry will tell you that there's, there's not many staff around. There's exactly. a lot of places struggling. Um, there's lots of venues for lease and for sale, and there's a lot of chefs, you know, they come to Canberra, they're here for a little while, then they go, and there's a lot of people doing it tough, and in some ways, shape or form, whether it's they've got... A good business that they can't find staff for anymore, um, or they've just got a struggling business that they, you know, they can't find customers. You, know, mm. you got one of the two. So we thought if we kept it really small, um, we have a good consistent thing going here at Aubergine where it's it's small enough I can manage it. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm still working most nights in the kitchen, and I can do that for a few more years. You know, like whereas if I try to grow and grow or yeah, do something more, and then I'd probably you start to lose your energy for, for mm. this. So um, refresh it, stay here, stay small, um, look after my team, and um, and have a restaurant I can live with rather than try to trying to find where life can kind of work with hospitality. Yeah, exactly. This it's is sort of balance. it. It's, it's a dinner restaurant. I can come in. I can have. Some, we can do some good food. Um, I'm not catering for the masses, and go home happy at the end of the night, and sort of that that can be a a nice happy lifestyle in the hospitality industry yeah no. that's pretty much the that's the decision at the moment so no no other places awesome <laughs> thanks Ben thanks for the dishes thanks for um, another contribution to the Capital Cookbook no worries pleasure it's always good to be involved awesome. enjoy it thanks mate cheers thanks for listening to my chat with Ben Willis from Aubergine in Griffith if you want to find out more about Aubergine, you can visit them online at aubergine.com.au. If you want more of these podcasts, you can get them on iTunes and Stitcher, or you can go to our website, quicksandfood.com, and click on the podcast link where they're all available. If you want to find us on social media, we're at quicksandfood on Facebook and on Instagram, where you can get all the latest news. Thanks for listening this time, and we'll see you again. Hold up. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.